We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Episode 8, Oklahoma. In the years that followed, Catholic Spain and Catholic France laid claim to the region that included Oklahoma, but little was done to explore this part of the domain. The 1700s saw French traders such as Bernard de la Harpe in 1719 and Athanase de Maziers in 1778 traveling the Arkansas and Canadian rivers in search of furs, but these were purely commercial ventures. One of these traders, Jean-Pierre Chateau, visited the Osage camp in 1796 near the place called the Three Forks of the Arkansas, where the Vire de Grace and the Grand Rivers joined the Arkansas just east of present-day Muskogee. By the way, I'm taking this from the book Tulsa, This Far by Face, 1875-2000 by James White, historian, Diocese of Tulsa. In 1817, Chateau's son, Auguste Pierre, established a trading post on the Grand River, which he called La Grande Saline, modern Salina, in present-day Mayas County. In the 19th century, we sometimes find the name of Father Charles de la Croix, given as the first priest to minister in the region that today is Oklahoma. He undoubtedly set out from St. Louis in the spring of 1822 to visit the Osage, but it is now clear that neither this journey nor another he made in August of the same year brought him south of Kansas. Credit for the first to fairly recorded exercise of Catholic ministry in our state, therefore, must go to a Jesuit priest, Father Charles Van Quickenborn, who was also stationed in the St. Louis area. He made a series of visits to the Osage, including one in 1830 to the band of Chief Claremore. At this time, he also visited Auguste Charteau's trading post on the Grand River, as well as Osage sub-agency operated by Nathaniel Pryor on the creek that bears his name, and the third site somewhere on Cabin Creek. Within this 20-mile radius, he designated three mission posts, here he, here he undoubtedly said mass and ministered to sacraments to French and Osage residents of the area. He returned to St. Louis with plans to come back to the Osages, but he never again made it as far south as Oklahoma. Not until 1875 did a priest take up permanent residence in Oklahoma. He was a Benedictine monk from France whose name was Isidore Robot. He was seeking refuge for himself in his mon monastic community, from the harsh anti-clerical laws that demanded the closing of Catholic institutions. The Archbishop of New Orleans had suggested that he might begin a new Benedictine establishment in the Indian Territory, so in October 1875, Father Isidore and his companion, Brother Dominic Lambert, or maybe Lambert, Lambert, 
arrived at Atoka, where the single Catholic church in all of Oklahoma then stood. That, it, that the church was there at all was something of a fluke. When the first railroad came through the Indian Territory, following the present route of U.S. Highway 69, more or less, in Central of Operations 1872, was at the Chateau settlement that was known as Atoka. Although there were almost no Catholics in the area, the railroad workers were mostly Irishmen, and a priest from Fort Smith visited them and encouraged them to build St. Patrick's Church. Less than a year after arriving at Atoka, Father Isidore received documents from Rome informing him that the Indian Territory had been given quasi-independent status as a prefecture apostolic with himself as prefect. The two documents were dated July 5th and July 9, 1876, respectively. The monks did not find the situation at Atoka to their liking, and so they decided to move their headquarters. The Potawatomi tribe had some Catholic antecedents and offered the Benedictines a square mile of land in return for building a church and school. In May 1877, Sacred Heart Mission was founded near the South Canadian River, about 35 miles south of present-day Shawnee. Although in some respects the mission flourished, and other monks came from France to fill out the slender resources of the founders, there were difficulties. Many of these centered on the personality of Father Isidore, who seemed to alienate as many people as he tried to serve. In 1886, the Holy See accepted, accepted his resignation, and discussions began among senior American bishops about removing the missionary enterprise from the Benedictines altogether. In April 1891, Father Theophil Merchert, pastor of the cathedral in Natchez, Mississippi, learned that he was to be bishop with the title of Vicar Apostolic of the Indian Territory. He was consecrated in Natchez on, a, on September 8th and arrived in Guthrie on the 19th, where he was met by the territorial governor, the mayor, a brass band, and most of the citizens of the frontier capital. Within a month, he embarked on a 950-mile tour of his vast pastoral charge. He found that, besides the complex of the Sacred Heart, the Benedictines had built parishes in Lehigh, 1884, Krebs, 1885, Pahusha, an Indian mission school in 1887, and a parish in 1890, and Greyhorse, another Osage school, and Purcell in 1888. In the summer following the first Great Land Run, there were churches in Edmond, Oklahoma City, and Guthrie. In 1890, other parishes had started in El Reno, Colgate, and Muskogee. The parishes at Lehigh, now closed, at Krebs, Colgate, and in 1895, McAllister, all came into being because of intense coal mining activity. Even today, most of the state south and east of McAllister sits on a rich deposit of bituminous coal. The ten years that ensued were hectic but fruitful. In October 1892, the bishop welcomed a community of Benedictine nuns who had moved their mother house from Iowa to Guthrie. That year, he ordained a single priest, but in 1893, he made the first of what would become nine trips to Europe in which he recruited more priests and seminarians, baked for funds, and reported to his superiors in Rome. The first priest was William Henry Ketchum, Born in Iowa in 1868, the bishop ordained him in Guthrie in March 13, 1892, and immediately appointed him to Muskogee, 
where there was one small church in some 18,000 square miles of pastoral area, the whole of the northeastern Oklahoma. Ketchum was young, just 23 at ordination, energetic and personable. Within a few months, he had laid the groundwork for boys and, school, uh, boys and girls schools in Muskogee. He also visited a Catholic Quapaw tribe located in the corner formed by Kansas and Missouri with a view of starting a mission church and school for them. He got the year of the director of Bureau for Catholic, of Catholic Indian Missions and persuaded him and Mother Catherine Drexel, a millionaire nun who was the Bureau's principal patron, to fund many of his projects. Traveling by rail and on foot when necessary, he established new churches at Eufaula, 1892, Quapaw, 1893, and Venita, 1895. We know that Father Ketchum said Mass in Tulsa in 1894, but, may, but he may have been there as early as 1892. In 1895, he got permission from Lagos Perryman, a local creek chief, to buy land for a church, but he could not immediately carry through the, con the construction. In late 1896, he was transferred to Antlers in the Chateau Nation. The next year, he had a church and school going with a mission at Poteau in 1898. In 1900, he was chosen as assistant director of the Bureau for Catholic Indian Missions in Washington, and the next year, he became director. After a remarkable career representing these Native Americans across the United States, he died of a stroke on November 14, 1921, at 53 years age. Two weeks into the 20th century, the Church of Oklahoma experienced a watershed event. Around 11 o'clock on the night of January 15, 1901, a fire started in the boys' dining room of the school operated for Indian students at Sacred Heart Abbey. Within a few hours, the entire complex of frame buildings, including the Abbey Church, St. Mary's Academy for Girls, and its adjacent convent, and all the farm buildings and other structures were reduced to ashes. The students were sent home and the monks were dispersed to other monasteries while the work of rebuilding got underway. Because of uncertain leadership, it would be 15 years before the monk school was relocated to Shawnee, where there was a rail connection and where it would become known as St. Gregory's. The Benedictine Foundation at Sacred Heart was the cradle of Oklahoma Catholicism. Its passing meant that the focus of the church here was finally and definitely shifted to Bishop Merchant and to the priests, most of them from Belgium or the Netherlands whom he had caused to come to the Indian Territory. All that remained was for Rome to raise the Indian Territory to the status of a diocese. This, this was not easily done. The Benedictines had never been truly reconciled to the fact that their missionary franchise had been handed over to a bishop from the secular clergy. They held out for certain guarantees such as the ownership of certain parish properties and they had not received everything they wanted. In 1896, Sacred Heart Mission was given the status of independent abbey, and if the first abbot had remained in office, matters would probably have not resolved amicably. Unfortunately, Abbot Thomas de Perot died after a mere 13 months in office. His successor, Abbot Felix de Grasse, felt obligated to defend the Benedictine claims, especially in regard to the new St. John's Parish of McAllister. He was able to bring the full weight of the Benedictine establishment in Rome against Bishop Mearshart, and the bishop was powerless to break the deadlock. More than that, Rome would not take action on Mearshart's request for the erection of a diocese in Oklahoma until the Benedictine matter was settled. 
In July 1905, Abbot Felix died, and when a monk came from Europe to oversee the election of a new abbot, the bishop finally was able to move the diocese question forward. That summer, he went to Rome for his regular report, made to Vatican officials every five years, and on June 27th, he learned from Pope Pius X that he would no longer be merely the vicar apostolic of the Indian Territory, but Bishop of Oklahoma instead. The decree of erection took effect on August 17, 1905. It is interesting that the title was adapted more than two years before the twin territories became a single state, and that the decree, which of course incorporated Merchart's own suggestions, commanded him to make his residence in Oklahoma City, though Guthrie would remain the state capital until 1910. Clearly, the bishop had his ear to the ground on these matters. A constitutional convention assembled in 1906 to prepare a basic law for the proposed state of Oklahoma. It produced a document with several peculiar features. One of them, reflecting the populist mood of the assembly, was that it was roughly 10 times as long as the American Constitution. Another was its definition of colored race, which paved the way for the infamous Jim Crow laws that soon followed. A third was one of that forbade shipments of intoxicants within the state. In part, this third provision was made necessary by the federal law making it possible for the former Indian reservation lands to apply for statehood. In part also, it reflected the progressive mood at the times, which was confident that bad habits, such as alcoholism, could be, could be cured by well-intentioned laws. Alcohol did present challenges to society in the early 20th century that we tend to overlook today. Men who drank to excess, and in those days alcoholism was regarded exclusively as a male problem, often left their wives and children destitute, and society had no safety net to provide for them. There was, no, there was then no network of social programs except mm-hmm. the small church and private agencies that were inadequate to meet the scope of the problem. This led a number of citizens to decide that the solution to alcoholism lay at the abolition of drinking in America altogether. This prohibition movement began in rural Kansas, and it quickly spread to the new state on Kansas' southern border. In 1917, the Oklahoma legislature passed a law forbidding the importation of wines and liquors from outside Oklahoma. Since it complemented the existing law regarding shipments within the state, it was known as the Bone Dry Law whether by accident or design, and neglected to exempt wine intended for religious services. And so the law posed a serious danger for Catholics who would thus be deprived of the Mass. Oddly enough, no one in Catholic circles had paid sufficient attention to the issue or had bothered to consider what effect the new law might have on religious observance. In August 1917, the pastor at Norman went to Santa Fe Station to pick up a barrel of altar wine only be told that the sheriff had confiscated the shipment and turned it over to the court. Bishop Merchart and his legal advisors decided to appeal the new law because the Norman pastor, Monsignor John Metter, was known for his fiery temper, the bishop chose to create his own test case. A second shipment was deliberately imported for St. Mary's Church in Guthrie in the name of Father Urban de Hask, a diocesan chancellor. When this too was seized, Father de Hask became the plaintiff in the legal action that followed. The case continued for the next nine months. Father de Hask, who was joined by representatives of the Lutheran Episcopal Churches, since these two needed wine for their services, ultimately had to bring the case before the Oklahoma Supreme Court. That body ruled on May 28, 
1819, that the importation of sacramental wine was protected under the principle of religious liberty. The vote was eight in favor and one abstination. Chief Justice Matthew Kane, a Catholic, refrained from voting to avoid the appearance of favoritism. It may surprise many Catholics today to know that prior to World War I, relations between Catholics and their non-Catholic neighbors were generally good. Admittingly, Catholics were always regarded as exotic by the homespun religious establishment in Oklahoma, but the problems in simply surviving in the raw plains after the land runs meant that Catholics could help build Baptist churches and Baptists could do the same for Catholics. In fact, the first church erected following the famous run of April 22, 1889, was Catholic, St. John's, and Edmond. This utopian situation slowly changed under pressure from outside Oklahoma. From 1880 onward, the Great Migration from Eastern and Southern Europe began to arrive on American shores. Although the nation was desperate for people to perform the heavy, dirty jobs required by the Industrial Revolution, there was still a perception that Italians, Poles, and Lithuanians were too different ever to be good Americans. When the Serbian nationalists assassinated the crown prince of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and knighted the First World War, these fears were sharply increased. In the midst of the European conflict came the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and the first Red Scare in this country. A severe drop in American farm prices after the war further frayed the national nerves and many people became convinced that foreigners were working to undermine the American way of life. Many of those viewed with suspicion by 100% Americans, of course, were not only of foreign birth, but Catholic as well. A tiny minority in the U.S. before 1840, Catholics had seen their ranks swell as a result of political upheavals in Germany and Ireland and later in other parts of Europe. Fears of foreigners naturally translated into fear of Catholics. Into this charged atmosphere stepped the revived Ku Klux Klan. In its second life, the Klan was centered in Indiana and had adherents throughout the United States. In 1825, hooded Klan members organized a massive march down Pennsylvania Avenue in the nation's capital, but this actually marked the high point of the revival. Although it claimed to stand for family values, several of its leaders were convicted of shocking crimes and its national influence quickly came to an end. In a less flamboyant way, however, the Klan continued to thrive in the South, and it was especially strong in four states, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana. The Tulsa Race Riot of 1921. In this hour of Tulsa's shame, only two white church groups distinguished themselves by their charity, the Presbyterians and the Catholics. Parishioners at Tulsa's Holy Family and Sacred Heart Churches collected food for the riot's refugees, and the sisters teaching a Holy Family School offered temporary lodging. In this period, threats against Catholics were less than those against blacks. A teacher would be hired for a new school year, but when it was discovered she was Catholic, the school board would suddenly decide another candidate was preferable. Nonetheless, there were public incidents. In Collinsville, Polish and Mexican smelter workers had built St. Stanislaus Church in 1916. By cross burnings and even at gunpoint, the entire Catholic population was driven out of Collinsville during the 1920s, and the church had to be closed. At St. Mary's Mission on the Quapaw Reservation in Ottawa County, the Sisters of Divine Providence sealed their de decision to close the school when they, too, were threatened with crosses burning on the great piles of ta tailings from the lead and zinc mines there. 
1925, the young pastor of Bristol, Father Emile de Pretier, decided to fight fire with fire. Informed that the clan intended to invade his rectory and burn St. Joseph's Church, he took out an advertisement in the local paper stating that he had purchased a revolver and was prepared to use it. He never had to. According to legend, the formidable pastor of Holy Family Church in Tulsa, Father John Herring, reacted to a planned Klan march down Boulder Avenue by standing on the porch of the great church which he had erected and defying anyone to approach. The book goes into a few uh, descendancies of African Americans, Hispanics, Italians, and Lebanese, starting with African Americans. Among the members of the five civilized tribes who were deported to this region in the 1820s and 1830s were many slaveholders. After the Civil War, the tribes were given a choice of adopting their former slaves into the tribe or giving them tribal land. The Creek Nation chose to do both, which is why there are so many black towns in the area around Okmulgee and Muskogee. Black Catholics were not much in evidence, however, until Okmulgee experienced an oil boom in 1920. This drew African-American oil field workers from Louisiana, many of them with French surnames. Uganda Martyrs Parish was started for them in 1925, but the boom played out quickly and many workers moved north to Tulsa. This gave an impetus to St. Monica's Parish in 1925. St. Augustine's Tulsa's second African-American parish opened in 1950. The first Italian immigrants arrived in the Indian Territory as coal miners in 1873. As mining activity expanded throughout the Chautau Nation, these men and their families settled in two principal areas. First, they followed the new mines eastward from McAllister through Krebs, Hartsthorn, and Wilburton. Second, they settled in Colgate, Lehigh, and Atoka. Even though the mines closed in the mid-1920s, the Italians remained, and today they provide much of the local color that this beautiful region has to offer. Lebanon became an independent nation in 1921. Before that, it was part of the Ottoman Empire. Around 1890, the first Lebanese, listed as Syrian Turks in the U.S. census of the time, began leaving their Middle Eastern homes bound for the United States. They were young men, either Catholic or Orthodox, whose intention was to establish themselves financially before returning to their homes. They were of merchant class, and because they did not speak English, it followed in that time that they would become peddlers. A number of them gravitated to the swifting, evolving situation in the Indian Territory, especially in the booming coal fields of Chartal Nation. Lebanese families developed in the towns of Haskell, Bristow, Drumright, and Talahina, where they became purveyors of dry goods and food. Families of Lebanese extraction continued to own several of Tulsa's longtime business establishments. The first recorded Catholics of Mexican ancestry came to the coal fields in Pittsburgh County. St. Edward's Church in Pittsburgh was opened for them in 1914. By 1916, they were in Henrietta, Bartlesville, and Collinsville, working in a large smelter set up to process ore from the lead and zinc mines in the Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma area. In 1928, the original Arle Guadalupe Church in Tulsa was established near 15th Street and Sheridan Road for Mexican coal miners. Later, it was re relocated at Pine Avenue and Newton Street. Our Lady Guadalupe was, was combined with St. Xavier in 1992. 
1950, vegetable farms had been established along the, along the Arkansas River near Bixby, and Hispanic migrant workers were laboring there. So there's a book, Tenacious Monks by Joseph Murphy. It's on these Benedictine monks who started the monasteries in Oklahoma. Let me just read from the inside flap. This book is a centennial history of the fathers and brothers of the ancient order of St. Benedict in the Oklahoma country. Their original entry in 1875 into the area then known as the Indian Territory was into a locale not generally regarded by Catholic bishops and religious orders as favorable for resident Catholic missionaries. A dynamic French priest, Isidore Rabot, uh, and lay brother, Dominic Lambert, formerly of the Papal Guards in Rome, disregarded the odds and plunged into the Indian country. The story of the foundation of the Catholic Church therein, the establishment, the prefector of the Indian Territory, the building of a monastery and boarding schools in the wilderness, and the hard and the hard circumstances within which such were accomplished will be the interest to all concerned with ecclesiastical history. Moreover, students of the Indian Territory can find considerable material relevant to life and forms among the Indians in this era. From the nature of the purposes of this writing, an effort has been made to explore in depth the characteristics of this monastic community, unique in many ways among Benedictine foundations in North America. The narrative describes the internal struggles and difficulties which it had to undergo in order to maintain its very existence. That it somehow succeeded in doing so for a hundred years suggested the title of the book. To build and maintain schools was the prime aim from the beginning. In the course of these pages is to be found the history of the early educational effort at Atoka, Chateau Nation, and at Sacred Heart Mission Potoma Na and Potoma Nation. Patawoma Nation. In the latter location, St. Benedict's Industrial School gradually gave way to Sacred Heart College, which was the forerunner of St. Gregory's College, opened in Shawnee, Oklahoma in 1915. The sometimes turbulent and difficult circumstances of this, of this monastic family had a parallel in the evolution of its educational efforts. St. Gregory's Abbey and St. Gregory's College today, beset with the problems of these latter times, still reflect the spirit of optimism and tenacity so characteristic of the founder, Isidore Rabot. The Oklahoma Benedictines began a mission in California in 1905. They are active yet today on two large parishes in the Archdiocese of L.A. In this book is an attempt to describe the California beginnings, the history of the monastery which thrived for a time and died, and the story of the early days of two parishes very much alive in the 1970s. So, I mean, this book is roughly 500 pages, 460 pages worth, uh, and just describes, if you're a fan, if you live in Oklahoma and want to learn more about these Benedictines, I think there's one or two books on Amazon with it, Tenacious Monks. Uh, that's the photo that you're looking at right now. Finally, there's a book called Monuments, Marvels, and Miracles, uh, Traveler's Guide to Catholic America. And uh, on uh, Oklahoma, there was a couple ones. When, on eastern Oklahoma, it says, When parishioners of Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Pahuska on the Osage Reservation gaze at their world-famous Osage window, they're looking at a family portrait. Crafted in Germany, the spectacular window, spanning nearly 10 by 25 feet, 
the pig's father, John Schoenmakers, uh, bringing the Schoenmakers, bringing the gospel to the Osage nation. Subjects, all in tribal dress, include Chief Bacon Rhine and his wife Julia, Chief Author Bonacastle, and Chief Saucy Calf. Some say gold dust is what makes the windows so beautiful. Dubbed the Cathedral of the Osage, the brick church dates from 1910. The Holy Family Cathedral in Tulsa, windows of mercy include the prodigal son, Jesus knocking out our door, the penitent woman, Jesus the Good Shepherd, and scriptural passages dealing with sin and forgiveness. In one image, the crucified Jesus and a chalice appear with the words, Behold the price of sin. This opened in 1914. The Gothic-style church boldly proclaims the gospel. Three spires representing the Holy Family soar 251 feet into the heavens and are crowned with 10-foot crosses. It goes on saying, there is no mistake in Tulsa's Christ the King Catholic Church. Uh, repeatedly, the world's first church named for Christ the King after Pius XI instituted liturgical feasts in 1925. The Gothic Byzantine art deco gem, wider than it, than it is long, looks and feels keenly. The high walls and pinnacles are reminiscent of the King's Palace, uh, the front steps, a moat. Inside art deco stained glass portrays Old Testament kings and Christian king saints offering their crowns and homage to the king of kings. <laughs> 